join me in prayer? Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and show ourselves glad in him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today is the end of the church year, the ecclesiastical year. And so next week we begin it all again with Advent week one. And it's appropriate that the gospel passage today is about the end of time. For that's what we're celebrating today, the end of time. It's been called many things over the year, over the years. The Armageddon, the Last Judgment, the end of the world, the apocalypse. And many people have thought that it was nearing the end in their own day. In the early 20th century, the world was growing dark. In the 1920s, particularly 1922 to 25, Mussolini proclaimed himself Il Duce, the leader, after serving, one can say that he served, as Prime Minister of Italy. I'm reading right now Winston Churchill's volume, The Gathering Storm. Winston Churchill's one of my favorite heroes of history, and his writing, his prose, is poetic. He writes, in the midst of this time, that the day will come when you have to make a stand, and I pray to God that when that day comes, we may not be found through an unwise policy that we have to make that stand alone. If you know history, you know that indeed Britain stood alone facing El Duce and Der Fuhrer, Hitler, in that time period. But in the church, there was also something going on. In reaction to such dark times, the Pope proclaimed this feast day that we celebrate today. And the rest of the church quickly took it up, called Christ the King, celebrating that even in the darkest of times, Jesus is the King of Kings and the ruler of the universe. And the reckoning will come. The reckoning of the nations will come. The judgment of the peoples will come. And perhaps you noticed that as the theme of today's readings. You see, a close reading of the scripture today reveals that contrary to what many people think, the main point of this passage in Matthew's gospel is not a Christian ethic, although it could be taken such. It doesn't contradict Christian ethics. It enforces them. Nor is it a Christian morality but it's about Jesus, about Jesus' supremacy, particularly above the nations and the peoples of the earth. The church places this message at the end of the year to encourage her ambassadors, those 
who are formerly apostles, and those of us who are carriers of the word of God to the nations and the powers that they face in the world. So the first thing to notice in this passage is what is being gathered before the Son of Man. I invite you to look with me at Matthew's Gospel, particularly chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. You can look at it in your Bibles or in the Scripture insert. But let's look at this together. For who are the sheep and the goats? Look at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You could also translate that peoples, peoples. Nation here is the Greek word ethne, from which we get the word ethnicity. Or, well, there's lots of derivations, right? The word here gets defined as ethnicity or nation in our modern language because it's talking about collections of peoples. Now, why is that important? Because here we see the results in the Last Judgment of the Great Commission. We see the other bookend from what began this season in the Feast of the Ascension. Do you remember right before Pentecost, Jesus goes up into heaven, right? Way back, we celebrated it in, uh, was it late May this year? It moves around a little bit. I think it was late May this year. Before going into the season of Pentecost, where all the nations, the ethnes, are gathered at the temple and the Holy Spirit falls on those that are faithful. And so here we are, almost to December, at the end of the church year, at that other bookend. And last week, we heard about that most precious gift that God gives to his people, God himself and the gospel doctrine, invested in the apostles. If you weren't here last week, do you remember the story of the talents, right? The parable of the talents immediately precedes this, and the parable of the ten foolish and faithful virgins immediately precedes that. And so here we see that some nations and peoples will receive the apostles and the kingship of Christ, who carry the gospel with them, while other groups will reject him. Saint Ephanias, the Latin, writes, Every race on earth will see Christ, both those who rejected him and who, who, who despised him as a man. But there's yet another group who must be identified in this parable, and that group occurs in verse 40. Look at that with me. And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, or in older translations, my brethren, so you did it to me. Who are these brothers? Who are the brethren? The apostles 
and all those who vicariously stand in as Jesus' ambassadors, for Jesus himself are these, the least of these, the brethren, the brothers. You see, this isn't some vaguely humanitarian doctrine or morality of the church, at least in its original context. Rather, this is a teaching about people accepting or rejecting Jesus' apostles. This is a story, a parable, about how that goes on and what will happen as the result. So, whereas we usually read ourselves in the identity of those treating the least of these, this morning I want you to flip that, for in this original context, we read this as you and I being the least of these. And that really changes the meaning of the parable, do you see? All of a sudden, rather than being a challenge to us, primarily, it's an encouragement to us as the people of God. How so? We'll continue reading. If we look at the context of this parable, the context of the servants in the, with the talents and the ten virgins, and the fact that Jesus only uses the word brothers or brethren to mean his disciples in his gospel, we see that Matthew is referring to any disciple of Jesus, any follower of Jesus. Further on, if we want to push the point and look at the definition of the least of these, that comes up in his gospel and other gospels as children. Remember when our Lord takes the children on his knee. He says, whoever forbids the least of these to come to me will be cursed. As a commentator points out, the parable is not this, therefore, generic lesson to God's people, but an encouragement specifically for God's people who hold the gospel as their most treasured gift. And that's really important when we come into situations of trial. It's really important when we come to resistance. Oh, true, we might not face persecution. I would say none of us here has, although I don't know all of your stories. And yet we do face resistance and scorn. Everything that follows in this passage follows, therefore, in that context as well. All judgment of the nations and individuals depends upon this. How do they treat Christ and his church? How do they treat Christ and his church? And where the challenge does come in is that as fellow members of that church, how do we treat Christ and those who represent him in his church? namely, one another. You see, in this passage, there are the sheep and there are the goats. And Jesus tells us that the sheep are placed at the right hand of the king, while the goats are put on the left. And those on the right are called righteous, in verse 37, while those on the left he calls cursed. Those on the right hand are invited into the kingdom, prepared for them from the foundation of the world, 
while those on his left are told, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 41. That by itself, by the way, is a really interesting side note fact that here, according to the gospel, hell was not made for human beings, but was made for the devil and his angels. And it's only by way of our rebellion that we end up there. But I'll leave that there for today. When we understand the proper interpretation, therefore, of this parable, dear friends, we see that the church places this parable at the end of the church year as an encouragement to her children. In the early 20th century, that encouragement was because the church needed it in standing up to supposed leaders like Il Duce and De Fuhrer, who were proclaiming thousand-year reigns. The church withstood that. Yes, it's true, in some places she faltered, but she withstood such assaults. And when we go to look and apply this in our own lives, take it as that encouragement. For the last several Sundays, Matthew's Gospel has reminded you and me about the profound duty that followers of Christ have to remain pure as the virgins and righteous and also to take to heart the supreme gift of Christ himself which you carry in yourself and also the gospel doctrine which you have to give to other people. So today's reading is meant to be something of a little bit lighter, believe it or not. Something to lighten that. We've come through those admonitions from the apostle to be faithful, to be righteous, to be pure, and today we're encouraged that when you are righteous, when you are pure, when you are truly taking to heart the treasure invested in you, God sees it. He sees your treatment. He sees when you're scorned. He sees when you're hungry or thirsty or a stranger or a sick or imprisoned. He sees that being his follower, the follower of Jesus, will cost you. And that's not hidden from him. A man or a woman who chooses purity and righteousness is going to be poor in spirit, is going to be mournful at times, is going to be meek. A Christian who sees the value of his or her inheritance in having God himself and the precious good news of the gospel is going to hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake when we don't see it around us or experience it for ourselves, or worse yet, for those whom we love. A Christian is going to be ridiculed when he or she is merciful or tries to be a peacemaker. A Christian, a follower of Jesus, who's been invested with that gospel doctrine, is going to be persecuted. Jesus promises that. Reviled and slandered. That's not the encouraging part, by the way. But the encouraging part is that those things are ever before the sight of the Lord. 
not one of them is missed. That the Matthew 6 virtues and gifts that come to us in the Beatitudes are here seen and noticed when they're found treated poorly in people following them. Do you see that? Do you see this is also a juxtaposition to that? The full picture is that the judge who reigns will give you and has given you eternal happiness. Blessed and happy are those people who embody these things because of their faith. And will give you eternal felicity even though you might face death in this world. The full picture is that God sees what the goats do to his little ones, simply. God sees what the goats do to his little ones, to the least of these. He's not mocked. He will bring justice. He has drawn up a record. God promises that there will be a great many who do accept him also. Though they might treat his little ones poorly, and some, interestingly, we see, though they might treat his little ones well, might not see that they're treating Jesus when they treat you. The church must remember that no matter how dark or mixed up the nations in the world become, there will be a judgment where all will be revealed. And as our Corinthians reading tells us, all things will be put into subjugation of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 28, quickly with me. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he, that is Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is, a plain, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be God in all. Dear friends, as we finish this year, this church year, and go into the next, most of us have not endured the true persecution that the church around the world goes through now and the Corinthians went through at the time. Most of us have not been stripped bare or imprisoned. But if we've been bold in our obedience to God, we have faced hardships at times. We have faced scorn. We have faced the loss of religious liberty at times. Blessed are you when these things happen to you. For they're seen and will be righted. And you will be rewarded. Therefore, endure and be encouraged. 
Jesus will reign. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.